Welcome to the second episode of the Sales Book Club podcast. Today I will be your host. I am Zach Mofield. And gentlemen, it is a pleasure to see you. We've got a lot to cover here today. This this book, uh, New Sales Simplified by Mike Weinberg, is absolutely amazing. It's got a ton of information in it. But before we do that, let's go ahead and, and get a quick intro from everyone. We didn't do that the first episode, and, and we think that'd be really beneficial. Daniel, you want to start us off, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Daniel Locke. I, uh, I am a, in the industrial uh, B2B s- space uh, with, I guess I've been in, in industrial B2B for seven years. So um, between different parts of the industry, but it's all kind of process related um, and now currently in capital equipment. I'll pass it to, to Ryan. And- yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, my name is Ryan Pugh. I work for Microsoft. Um and I, but I've been in tech now for about eight or nine years, um, just a few different tech companies now currently in Microsoft, pure B2B as well, um, working on their, both their uh, Office 365 as well as their cloud environments with uh, selling and expanding it to our existing clients. Awesome. And I'm Matt Nelson. I'm in the trucking logistics supply chain industry, been in this industry for about 15 years, primarily selling uh, to uh, B2B as well. And uh, about six months ago, I transitioned to an operational role as well. So I carry the mantle of sales and uh, operations with the company that I currently work for. Pleasure to be here with all you guys. Looking forward to this discussion. This, This book is a game changer for anybody in sales, for sure. Awesome. Go ahead, Daniel. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to contain all of the excitement I have over this book. Is this is the absolute favorite sales book in in my library? But uh, go ahead and introduce it, Zach. Yeah. So again, I'm Zach Mofield, and uh, I work for a solar racking company. I've been here for a little over a year. Got previous experience uh, selling injection molding, and then also working at Enterprise Rent a Car. Um, And and to get to the book, like you said, Daniel, New Sales Simplified, again, by Mike Weinberg. Um, Wow, what what a lot of information there. Just a a quick blurb about the book. Um, Mike does an excellent job uh, explaining real world examples, um, giving some successes and failures he's had in his career. Um, he, He really tells it how it is. Um, And I'm a big fan of if you've never worked or excuse me, if you have worked in sales, uh, just after reading a few pages of this, you're going to have no doubt that Mike really gets it and he knows what he's talking about. Uh, So make sure you've got your your notebook ready, your highlighter ready when you're reading this, because it's going to be one that you read through multiple times, pick up something new every time and and take a lot of notes. Um, So so with that, let's go ahead and see. Does anybody have a a big takeaway? They're just dying to tell the the rest of the group here really what it's about. Zach, let me, this is Matt. Let me uh, say, I agree with what you just said and what Daniel said as well. I feel so strongly about this book that I feel like every person in sales needs to, this needs to be a once a year read, honestly, um, because the the systems and the processes and the, and the really the way, let me say, let me back up. Everybody in sales, except my competitors need to read this book once a, once a, a year uh, because the way Mike makes the systems and processes so simple to understand and not just understand, but to put in place is it's a huge takeaway, man. There, again, we're going to have a hard time fitting all of this in. I can just tell you that. Cause I, I know Daniel, like he just said, he's, he could talk about this book. I, Daniel, I think you like probably one of Mike Weinberg's biggest fans, right? Uh, it was, I was so giddy to meet him at outbound a couple of years ago that, you know, he had, he, at that time he was releasing uh, sales truth, but I was, I was such a big nerd that I brought my new sales simplified with me so that he can sign it as well. Yeah. Because I'm an, I'm an absolute nerd of, <laughs> of pretty much all things Weinberg. So, and it all started with this book though, is, and it's, it really just, it can, it is so powerful in, in what it can do to, structure new business development and and not just you know not and it's not all tactical approach either um there is some really like chapter eight is extremely powerful to like you said matt go through 
you know, once a year, even just to fine tune everything and remind yourself of, of, you know, what the contents of this book bring to, to your professionalism. But, um, you know, this, it, it just is powerful all the way through, um, each chapter. So I'll, I'll, what I'll say though, overall, this isn't a, you know, overall perception. This isn't a book, great book for maybe account managers. And this is where I, pro- why I probably love it so much is Mike is a new sales guy. I'm, I'm a new business development, you know, uh, I would say specialist, you know, account management just doesn't, it's not my deal. And that's, uh, I think that's where people start. Once you, if you stay in sales long enough, you realize what, which side of the, of those type of sales roles you end up, um, more comfortable on. Um, and I've, I've definitely found I'm the, the new business development guy. So, um, that's probably one of the, one of the reasons I enjoy this book so much. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, my entry into sales was not at like a BDR role or, you know, net new. I, I actually started out on the account management side, but I had always viewed it as still need to expand it, still need to make my outbound calls. But I preface that by saying, um, he called, I mean, he doesn't know me personally, but some of the actions that he called out, I, I felt personally, like when you're sitting back and just uh, hoping for a good deal to come by or, or um, just kind of relying on the the goodwill of your clients. Um, that's not a success strategy at all. And I would say that this book, and I know we'll get more into it, it almost seems like this should be a foundational sales book for everybody when they get in. Like if you're new sales, here you go. If you've been in for 10 years, here you go. Like you need to read this book because some of the points that he challenges, he does it in a way where it's not judgmental. It's just, here's the facts. He doesn't overcomplicate it. I mean, simplified is in the name, the title of the book. Um, yeah, I just really enjoyed reading it uh, and kind of expanding my own horizon as well. So I'm glad we've taken this book on. Yeah. Ryan, uh, you know, those foundational sales books, you know, for a long time, spin selling was one of those that like, Oh yeah. If you that you know your new boss hands you spin selling for years, that was the case, and and it still carries a lot of weight today. But I feel like, especially in a new business role, this if if your boss doesn't hand you this book, then you're you need to go buy it on your own. But it is <laughs> yeah. it is the, the foundational training that hopefully you're getting from you know your organization. But again, that's hope is not a strategy. <laughs> No. Well, I actually, uh, it's, I, I'll be honest, I'm a little frustrated because uh, until you guys brought it up, I'd heard of this book before, but I'd never read it. And I'd never had a sales manager recommend it to me either. Um, and so maybe I've, maybe I've just had crappy sales managers, barring my current one. <laughs> you, you know, what's funny is one of the, one of the first things, one of the things I wrote in chapter one of my notes was where did all the sales mentors go? Right. Within within companies. Right. And and this is where uh, and I'm probably a little critical of this. I think so many sales managers nowadays are ruling behind, you know, they they try to manage behind a dashboard. And and this is, you know, one of the things that, that Mike, you know, hammers on probably more so in, in sales truth, but a little bit in in um, uh, in this book is that one one on one accountability with with salespeople. You know that was a, a big part of what moved him in in his roles previously, but that was like I said, that's one of those things I wrote down. Like, where did all the sales mentors go? Because in chapter one, it's like, you know, kind of laying out the land of of uh, kind of how sales currently is, as far as you know how people approach it. And there's just I feel like there's a and that's that's almost a sidebar conversation that. that on the sales mentorship part of it. But, you know, I think you can, you can, you can access it, you know, through different books, hopefully from like this podcast, which you know, summarized part of it. Um, but it's funny that you brought that up because I literally wrote that down. Well, you know, you bring up a good point though, Daniel um, makes me wonder, you know, I've had sales managers who are pretty young still early twenties, but they're very technically savvy. They can build dashboards. They can run metrics. And it kind of makes me curious, actually, as we progress towards this more metric minded 
management philosophy that sometimes you do need those tech savvy people that can run the dashboards really quickly. But at the same time, you, you don't have the mentorship. You don't have the people that have went through those tough conversations and have that experience that they can impart on their teams. And, you know, there might be a real, real gap there to your point, Daniel. I think you guys both brought up two points. Uh, again, this is Zach here. Um, you know, Ryan, you talked about a, um, a waiting game. And, um, you know, in chapter two, Mike talks about, uh, he calls it the 16 reasons why salespeople fail at new business development. Um, and, and one of them I have written down is, is a waiting game. You know, we talk about just waiting for that, that uh, next thing to close and hoping and wishing, knowing full well that it's probably not going to close. Um, and you just need to pick up the phone and start calling the next one. Uh, the other two that I have down is, is a lazy component. Um, it, it's really, it was really interesting. I like to use uh, the term victim mentality at times. Um, and and he, he actually used that same term. Um, people with a victim mentality lose, period, is, is what he said. Um, and then lastly, the, the other big thing is they stop learning. Um, and I think that, you know, they, they don't, very few people don't invest in their own development. Um, like, like we're doing here, getting together, doing something like this, which I think actually ties back in to what um, Daniel had said, you know, maybe they don't have people to learn from, you know, Daniel touched on, um, you know, their mentors or, or their dashboard managers, so to speak. Fortunately for me, in, in a previous role, uh, I had a, a great mentor that really understood what it was like to hop in the car and, and do the things that Mike talked about. It was astonishing to read some of the stuff. I like, hey, what's our goal for the call? What's our call plan? What are we going to do if this happens? What, what's going to happen if X, Y, and Z? Um, and at the time, I, I guess I thought, hey, it's a really nice thing to do. But I guess I just didn't even know that wasn't the norm. So th the point there is, you know, if you're reading this and you feel like you're a leader, you, you can be a mentor to anyone. I don't care how old you are. If you're fresh out of college, if you're, you know, almost to, to the retirement age, you, you can do it. And uh, don't don't be afraid to do it either. I think too many times people may feel, well, uh, they're, they're my elder or something like that, because I know personally I've struggled with that. Um, but hey, resources are resources. I don't care if you're 25, 65, 95. As long as you're still alive, there, there's a reason. So gr great points, fellas. Hey, Zach, can I, can I bring, ask a question based on what you just said? Because uh, you brought up chapter two. Um, looking at those 16 reasons and I'll answer my question after I ask it and give you guys time to think about it. You might ever have the answer. Um, what would you feel like is your not so sweet 16 reason for not generating new business? I know for me, it's, I have to spend so much time babysitting my existing accounts. Um, it's almost daily. If not many times throughout the day, I'm, I'm in the middle of prospecting or in the middle of doing something else, which clearly means I haven't blocked that time. Good, good enough. But I get an urgent need from an existing account that takes me away from what I need to be doing, which is generate new business. And I'm, so for me, of those 16, that is the one that I most easily gravitate to that takes me away from generate new business. Just curious, um, Daniel, what do you feel like yours is? Yeah, so I, I had written down my top three sins and then my you know, three, I'll say the three positive attributes of, of those 16 is, I mean, there's plenty to choose from, but, you know, probably the first one is kind of similar, but the protecting your time, you know, the time blocking part of that is, is, is a, always been a struggle. I've always struggled with that. You know, I'm I, part of my, I have a meandering thought process. And I, I think there's times where the, the creativity that comes from that is really beneficial, but at the same time, it's also a hindrance when, you know, you, you don't set aside, aside that time every day, you know, to, to go prospect, then the well runs dry relatively quickly once you start qualifying and, and closing business. And so that was, that's the first one. The ownership of the sales process is, is kind of another, is the other one that uh, I, I acquiesce a lot of times just because, um, you know, I think I can be a little relational, even as a new business development, you know, guy, you know, uh, uh, building relationships, you know, with uh, and connections with other people, I think is one of the most important parts of sales. And sometimes, you know, you kind of, I, I have a habit of letting that get in the way of owning the sales process and getting those, you know, the, the next steps or owning that uh, pipeline. So uh, we'll, I'll say, we'll come back to the, you know, the three things you do best after, after Ryan 
answers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can easily point out what I do wrong. Um, <laughs> so uh, probably because I've for a long, most of my career in sales, I've been on the account management side, uh, just, just how I've defaulted to. Um, it's always easy to prioritize a burning bridge with a client versus blocking out time. And even though I felt like the book was very relevant though, because it, even though I've pretty much been in existing business um, for bulk of my career, there's still expansion. There's still outbound prospecting new departments that I have to call into and blocking off that time. I don't always do it. I also sometimes don't always, haven't always seen the value in doing it um, for one reason or the other. And so, um, and then probably what you were mentioning as well, Daniel, uh, I'm very relational. So sometimes you allow that to obscure the fact that, hey, there are <laughs> hard and fast targets that both I have as a quota carrying member of my team, as well as there are certain needs of the client that uh, we don't want the relationship to get in the way of. Um, and so those are probably two things easily that I felt like called me out right away. I was semi aware of it before, but it's always nice to see it <laughs> again in black and white. Accountability, even if it's coming from a book, is still accountability, right? Yeah, great point. Yeah, great, great uh, insight there, fellas. And Matt, Matt, I appreciate the question. Um, yeah, so the the sixteen that you know of the sixteen things, I'd say the one one that I struggle the most with, or have the most opportunity to improve, would would really be the 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 story. You know, he Mike mentions can't can't tell a story. And I think it was Daniel, if I remember correctly, touched on chapter eight. It's funny because I got I got a big old circle around that one up. Hey, go back and read this. You know, I, I have all bold letters on my notes here that say, hey, if you do if you don't do anything, at least buy the book and read chapter eight, um, because there's just a ton of content in there about how to create your story uh, that that's really you can go back to the well uh, many times over and, and really learn, uh, you know, the Chapter eight is called sharpening your sales story. So it said to be the biggest one for me uh, to improve upon. So what about the, I guess, what are the, of those 16, what do you guys feel your best strength is, you know, kind of in, inverse of that, of the, well, you know, they're written in more of a negative light, but which one you're like, I've got that one. I would say for, for me, um, you know, account selection is, is, I, I'm laser focused on who I want to do business with. Um, you know, it's the spray and pray method that, that some people live by is I, I cannot fathom doing business like that. It makes no sense to me. Uh, Matt, what about yours? That's, and that's a great question. Um, probably, and this will go to uh, a later question on, what we feel like our greatest sales tools are. I, I like the phone and clearly I'm the senior member of this group and I'm an old school guy. So I, I will always err toward the phone versus a text or an email. I still think the phone is the greatest tool we have in sales. And so uh, having a phone conversation for me comes really natural. Um, so that's, that's where that's kind of my go-to is to get on the phone. If you have a problem, if you have, if you have, have a question you need answered, I'm telling people all the time, did you call them? Did you call them? Did you call them? You got to pick up the phone and call people. And uh, so that's probably um, my greatest. What about you, Ron? Yeah. So um, for me, you know, the ability to continue learning, that's actually a hallmark for me just personally. So I don't find that to be a struggle. Um, also, I feel like I can guide a sales conversation pretty, pretty well. Um, I do always enter a sales conversation with what is my desired end state for both me and my client. Um, and I, I really keep to that. And uh, ultimately, I'm a little lazy as a salesperson. So I prefer to work with accounts that I know I'm going to make money off of. And so um, uh, account selection is probably my third one that I, I rely on heavily. I just don't feel like wasting my time with the ones that won't make me money. So. That, that goes to like the whole Jeff Blunt thing of bending yeah, sorry, wind probabilities in your favor. That like that's one of Jeb Blunt's big um, kind of quotes or you know mantras yeah. is bending wind probabilities in your favor. Oh yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, actually, uh, I, I've met him. I've had training from him. He he says that. So maybe I'm not lazy. Maybe I'm smart. You're smart. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. It's not laziness, man. It's smart. What about you, Ron? What's your what do you 
feel, I feel like I'm sorry, Zach. What do you feel like your biggest strength is on those? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say real quick, Brian. Uh, it's great. I, I call them RGAs. Is what I want to do. Revenue, revenue generating activities. So it's. Nice. I think any smart person does that. Uh, you, you see that uh, Mike talking about that, and and like you guys mentioned, Jeb. Uh, as far as me, I'd say the top two for me are just. Um, you know, Mike says. Uh, you have become negative or pessimistic. I feel like for me, I'm just too happy go lucky. Um, you know, hey, okay, you said no, sweet. I'm one no closer to a yes. Like just pick up the phone and dial again. Uh, and then the other one would be stop learning and growing. Uh, I feel like I do about the exact opposite of that. Uh, you know, through reading these books with you guys, getting together and learning new things. Um, I've connected with a few other people at Outbound that, uh, at least in my opinion, are highly respected and I highly respect them. And we try and at least meet about once a, once a month, um, and, and do is things. It us? Well, obviously it'd be you guys too, but, uh, there, there's another fellow that I met that is very knowledgeable and he's got a lot of firsthand knowledge from, uh, Jeb Blunt will say. So it's, uh, it's, it's just great to get with other like-minded people. And, you know, I, I think we mentioned last episode, you're, um, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I was, I'm really looking to always try and raise that level of the, of the, of my surroundings. And then hopefully, you know, I'm doing the same for them as well. So is it safe to say that all four of us have the learning and growing as a, as a, like a top three strength of that list? That's, that's what I, I kind of thought, especially since we're you know, the, the genesis of the whole podcast itself is, is learning and growing. I thought we probably all share that in common. Yeah. There's a bit of a sample bias for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I do think it was a challenge. I think someone asked us the other day, how do you measure the ROI in that? Are you seeing a real return? And I I think we do. I mean, I don't know if you can measure it as far as a a measurable goal, but it has to be, you have to be, if you're learning and growing, you got to be getting better in in, to craft and our craft to sell. So clearly. Yeah. Yeah, you could easily look at. Um, I, I like to read sales books, but this forces us to read them, right? And um, holds us accountable. So that alone, I think, is you know a win. That's right. And I think hey, you, Zach, you made a- I oh, could have swore. I could have swore that your top attribute was going to be being like likable and empathetic, because I don't know any nobody. I don't see anybody that can't you know, hate you. You're such yeah, a likable guy. I was, that's, why oh, man, why that's why we're all here because you're so likable, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I've heard it before a couple of times. Actually, Jeb even said it in the breakout sessions, the because statement um, on, on Friday, I was there. He goes, Zach, you're a likable guy. Just talk to him. Um, and so, so I appreciate it. I guess I just uh, try to say, I, I don't want to say uh, more, um, I guess I just try to be humble and I, I look at that and go, okay, well, uh, I, I do my best. So I appreciate it. So moving, uh, I kind of want to, cause we're, like I said, we're, we could probably talk for two hours on this book. And um, I thought, you know, chapter three, there's, there's a couple of really good points in chapter three and, and essentially, you know, sales follows strategy. Um, it was, is kind of the, 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 the mantra of, of chapter three. And, you know, with that, it, I, I like how Mike kind of starts to really uh, delineate the differences between like the, you know, a hunter and farmer mentality. And, and again, going back to what the book is about is new business is, you know, he makes a point here that a new business dollar, you know, in his mind is more valuable than recurring dollars. And I thought that was really powerful because, you know, you can grow by cross-selling and upselling, but there's going to be limits based on your company's ability, uh, you know, whatever their breadth and product market or product mix is. And so at some point to keep growing, you, somebody has to go get, go get something new. And so those are different skill sets though. They, they really, the, as coming like Ryan, like I started in, in more of an account management role um, with my first sales job and, and, and I realized really quickly, you know, that's just doesn't, it's just not working for me. And so, um, you know, uh, I think that he, the other part where he starts to tie that into is, you know, aligning the pay plan with the business goals and kind of, again, that goes to delineating the roles. 
Um, and so I think that, you know, that is, that sets up the following, you know, chapters I thought pretty well. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I've been, Oh, sorry, Zach, did I speak over you? Um, you know, so I've been at some companies where we had a large sales force and we did not delineate those roles at all. And I've been at companies uh, where we did. Um, it, to, to your point, Daniel, there, there's definitely a, a differentiation in skill set and just what people feel comfortable with uh, on a sales team. And um, this book is almost like a blueprint. Like if you're a brand new sales manager, I would read this book and just start applying some of those some of those uh, rules to your team. Ironically, the, the, his next book that he wrote after this one was Sales Management Simplified. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll have to do that one then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're I, right, I though. It does. They do point. kind of lot. They, they do. It goes. It, it really hits on a lot of that strategy. Sorry, Zach, go ahead. You're, you're good. I think both of you guys make a great point, Ryan. You know, you talked about, um, you know, if you're a sales manager, I, I have the note down here and, and highlight and everything because I want to make sure we got to this was smart people work the comp plan. You know, if there's no incentive um, to drive the behavior that you want as a company, you, you need to fix that. You know, and I, I have the note next to it. If you're if you're a manager, make sure what you're uh, rewarding for drives the behavior you want. If you want someone to go be a hunter, reward them well for it. Don't put a cap on it and stuff like that. Say, hey, we, we understand it's a challenge to go get this. And then, you know, he talks about earlier in that chapter too, it's the sales organization, or excuse me, the salesperson is entitled to the sales organization having a super clear answer for where they're going and why we're going there and, and stuff like that. Um, and I, it, it was just great reading that because I've been at some places where it's not really that clear. It's all in the sales. I, they literally had uh, the, the president say, where do you think we should go? And as a new sales uh, outside sales rep, I, I mean, I didn't know any different. I didn't know that's that's not how it was supposed to be. And then as you progress through your career and learn that it's not always like that. Um, so I guess to, to wrap that up, if, if you're in management, make sure the comp plan rewards what you want and, and give them some clear um, expectations and directions on, on where to go. Zach, you, something you said, you know, reminded me of something I think maybe a, a lot of managers may forget and that, you know, the strategy is important and it gets even more important when you have long sales cycles. So, you know, and the, where I'm at now is, you know, it, it could be up to a year long sales cycle on, on major capital uh, equipment. And if the strategy may change between now and not just when, you know, this, the sales cycle might be a year long, the execution phase of that's another year long. And so if the, the strategy happens to shift underneath that process, you know, everything that you've done through that sales process may have to get reworked or, or approached differently. And, and so, you know, that concrete strategy it is really important, particularly in, in my opinion on, on long sales cycles. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great point. And, and um, when I was in that uh, spot that, uh, I had those challenges, we'll say. It, it was a long sales cycle. Um, you know, I always said three months to infinity because if they signed up today and said, here's the PO, it's three months before you can even get in uh, to production or building a tool or what have you. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's very important to communicate uh, to wrap up your point, Daniel. Great point. Yeah, and I think a takeaway too, I, I had a role one time. Uh, it was pure new business but the sales cycle was about 18 months long. Um, but the rest of the company, they had roughly a three to six month sales cycle. So I was kind of an outlier on that one, but it was just the product set that I sold. But the problem was the comp plan was tailored to a three to six month sales cycle. And so about seven months in, you know, I started getting questions from my management. Hey, why are you failing? Why have you not succeeded? And I kept explaining, Hey, you know, <laughs> Uh, the way the nature of this product is not the same, but it uh, the incentives were misaligned. And as a result, I felt like a failure most of the time, even though I really wasn't. Um, 
because it was kind of a learning process for us and sales management. But I think, Zach, you bring up an excellent point that um, you need to have a comp plan that both rewards your salespeople, but also is aligned with the, the true nature of, of what they're selling. Otherwise, you're just going to have you're going to have turnover um, is the reality in your sales team. And, and you're going to not really have a successful you know, culture in place. Yeah, very well said, Ryan. And I think that's a a great transition into another chapter that I liked uh, was uh, chapter five. It talked about selecting targets um, first for a reason. Uh, And with that, you know, some some bullet points I have down on that are a finite list of targets. And I and I think that can relay back to, like you're saying, the sales cycle. Well, why are we going after these people? Well, we know because X, Y and Z. That's why. and, and then, you know, to focus the list and, and have those finite targets, I think times and, and even myself in previous roles, there's so there's so many people out there that you could potentially sell to. But where do you try and cap it at? You know, Mike talks about a, a workable list or a manageable list, whatever that may be. Uh, and I was curious to hear kind of what, what your guys' thoughts are on that. Kind of how do you guys go about um, selecting targets, and then also, um, what, what would you consider workable? You know, is, is that a number or is that uh, a revenue dollar? Uh, Matt, what, what's your thought on that? Yeah, great question, Zach. Um, one of the things that I put into practice after I attended Outbound two two years ago, three years ago, it was, and I think it was probably a, a combination of teaching from everybody that I heard, is that I generated a list that I operate off of on a, on a daily basis and I keep it at the front of my binder, keep it on my computer. I've got three lists. Um, one is uh, growable existing accounts that I have. Um, the other is ideal prospects. Uh, and these are, are companies that do what my customers are already doing. They're in the same industry. Um, I'm looking at from, from a shipping standpoint, companies that we're delivering to, uh, those are always prospects for us um, because that's not usually our customer but it's the, it's the person that we ship the material for. And then of course, of course I have my dream clients and those are your, your fortune 500s. Those are the big, those are the big fish. Um, and so that's a, a, a list that I keep active. Um, I don't, I don't use a CRM anymore. I, I, I in the previous jobs I've been in, I've, I've had CRMs that I've had to maintain and manage. And so for me, this is just a hard copy on a notebook piece of paper. And I, if you saw it, you would see scratches and notes and I update it once a year and, take some people off, move some people through. But those three lists, that growable existing, the ideal prospects and the dream clients, that for me is how I stay on target, how I stay on task. Great question. You are the ultimate old school guy, Matt. I'm old school. See my notebook? Hey, it works. How many more, how many calling cards do you still have like in a drawer somewhere? How many calling cards, like like business cards? No, no, No. calling cards. We got to go to the payphone. You talking about my Rolodex? No, no. You know, when you're on the road, you had to dial the 1-800 like collect number or whatever. I've only been in sales for 15 years. I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all talking like, y'all talking about like Gittimer age now. That's not me, man. I'm not that old. You you know what I'll say uh, just in general is I love the fact that we all have very different industries that we're in, but the book is applicable to to each one of us um and i think that's the a strength of of this book so it doesn't really matter what vertical you're in industry this this book is applicable yeah agreed yeah it's it's distilled down to its most basic most basic functions um i'll kind of i'll take over where that question that uh, zach that you had asked matt and, and i would say you know the way i look at it and i don't want to foreshadow too much but um our, our next book, Anthony and Arenos Eat Your Lunch, kind of, I love how the two of these books are pair, I pair them together. And it just so happened that the, you know, we, when we selected the books we're going to read, the, these two are side by side. But uh, essentially, you know, I, I have kind of taken away too much from that book, but I have that list of, of, I call them, you know, the ideal prospects. And, and the way that I've, I've gotten to that is, you know, you look at, okay, who is the absolute best client that we have? You know, they're hard to lose. They're profitable. They're low maintenance. You know, that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm like, all right now, because if I had 10 of those, 
oh, my life would be so much easier. So what, who do they look like, right? Is, is it, you know, a similar organizational structure, similar client base, like uh, you kind of have to look at it that way. And that's the way I've approached is like, okay, which is the least, you know, how can I just take the the same approach and results from this company and just find, you know, work my way into the next, you know, the next one via whether, you know, whatever method it takes to get into it um, from a prospecting perspective. But, but that's the way I look at, at okay, who's that ideal client profile? Uh, I see you, uh, uh, Ryan, shaking your head a bunch. Yeah. Um, you know, so my previous role I was at, we were a pretty small company and we were still trying to identify what that ideal customer profile was. But, um, you know, I think to a certain degree, sales is not rocket science. I mean, it's very much a profession, but uh, to your point, Daniel, what I did was to figure out where to expand because I was tasked with both new business and, and expansion there was, I would just look at who my successful clients currently were. What, what did they look like? Um, and I would just go find another one in the same industry and and start calling into it uh wasn't that hard <laughs> so, and you can kind of look at all right here's what i've done at this client i can speak to their challenges i can speak to what the value is that we can provide and i can just share that story uh with with this prospect and that's really how how i've applied it um there's been other times when you know sometimes the list is just handed down from above but um i found a lot of times even in that scenario you can still look at where your strong clients are or strong prospects are and just build upon that. I think you all make a great point. And, and you said, I think we've all really touched on looking at um, where your current clients are. You know, some of the questions that Mike has in the book is, you know, who are our best customers? Why do they initially become customers? Who do we compete against in the marketplace? Um, and he goes on for more of that. Um, and it's really interesting, Matt, that you showed us, you know, you held up on the screen there that you physically had him written down because he had, he, he uh, mentions that in chapter five as well. Uh, a written list physically ri um, written out or, or printed, um, if you will, and, and right there by you. Um, and and uh, like we text uh, the text I sent this morning, you guys could see the, uh, the, the goals, the sales goals for the rest of the year uh, out there just because it's, you know, it's true. I can put that in a CRM. But until it's right there, um, top of mind all the time, I, I heard a thing one time about somebody got two jars and they put like these marbles in it and there was like 15 of them or whatever. And every time they make a cult, their goal was to make 15 cold calls a day or, or whatever it was. They would take a marble out and put it in the other jar just because by the before they went home, all the marbles had to be in the other jar. Um, so I, th I think it's great that you you write that stuff down. You've got it there. You know where it's at and it's right in front of you. Um, and then even to, to furthermore that Matt, you know, you talked about um, segmenting some it, it a little bit further. Mike also talked about that, about in terms of dollars, most growable, most at risk. And then even having like those dream accounts where when you land this, you know, it's, Hey, this, this could be life changing, or this is definitely going to have a, a massive impact on you personally and the company for, for that matter. So all great points, fellas. <laughs> it reminded me of, uh, there's, there's one that I left out and this, uh, in a previous role was selling, um, you know, MRO consumables. And there was a few, I had a, it wasn't a big portion on my list, but I would intentionally put, you know, two or three clients that I knew if my, if my competitor lost those, they would be just, uh, you know, they'd be upset with themselves. And essentially, and it comes, the way I looked at it was, you know, okay, this might be really, really hard for me to get into, but the impact that it would have to shake up, um, you know, the dynamic of the marketplace, what is, is huge because it can make a statement of like, oh yeah, they were a loyal, loyal client of XYZ for 30 years. And it, you know, it took some effort, but we converted them over that, that there goes, that goes a long way other than, oh yeah, we snapped up all the stuff that they didn't want. Kind of like when Sprint took the Verizon guy. <laughs> yes. I forgot about that. that that's so true. 
Very, very good point, Ryan. I remember uh, seeing that and I was like, wow, talk about uh, just a, uh, a shock to, I guess, really that industry, if you will, at least from my perspective, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was great. Um, yeah. So, so great. Can you imagine Daniel, if, I, what's that? Go ahead, buddy. Can, can you imagine if flow was it uh, took over for Geico? <laughs> right. That would, and, that would, that would change the dynamic of the marketplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think we make a great point here. Um, and, and I wanted to get to this and it's a great time to get to it today. Um, in chapter 15, kind of closing out the book here, Mike talks about rant, raves and reflections. Um, and he had a really great uh, paragraph page right around there about chase after that massive competitor, because really when it comes down to it, it's you versus that other sales rep. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I was a I'm a big fan of Kobe Bryant's work ethic. You know, it's it's just you. So are, are you going to let one other person beat you? Or are you going to get up at 4 a.m. And, and figure out how to get in and do some research uh, to get around the gatekeeper or or whatever it may be? Um, and he talks about that. Yeah, it may be a massive company that you're competing against, but it's it's most likely one sales rep. You got to beat one guy to to have a massive change in in your industry, your life, or for your company. Um, so so great point. Yeah, I think in chapter fifteen, Zach, his um, writing on attitude is some of the most gold material in the book. Um, and I'm I'm just going to read a couple sentences off of page two hundred one. He says, I've got one more thought about your attitude. He said, you do realize that the rest of the people in your company look to the sales organization to set the pace to create hope for the future and to deliver the results. If we understand the, the responsibility that we carry, you know, so many so often in guys who do what we do, we carry the stigma we're sales guys, man. It's an honor. It should be an honor uh, when we understand that the, the future and the, the people that work in our company are looking to us to produce when we show up. And so uh, if, with that mindset, and that's a, that's a game changer. And when you truly understand that that's what shapes your attitude, uh, it makes you want to give and go to work and crush those goals every day, I think. Any thoughts on that? I agree. Um, so my first job out of college, I was in more of an operational role. And then I transitioned into tech and went to a sales role. And I remember I had some friends, they said, oh, is that a sales job that you're doing? And they kind of poo-pooed it. And I I was a little sheepish. I said, yeah, it, it is. Um, and, then, you know, the longer I've been in this profession, the more I'm like, why, why would I be embarrassed about that? Like, one, we're um, providing value to our clients. We're increasing revenue for our companies. Uh, everybody that's doing like the back office jobs, their salary is directly impacted by our efforts, right? And so it's an honorable profession. Um, and uh, and I think Mike does a great job of presenting it in such a light as well in the book. It's a great, great point, uh, Ryan and, and Matt. I'm really glad you brought that up about the uh, the uh, just, just having a positive outlook on stuff. You know, he, he talked about also in that chapter, don't get sucked into the negative conversation. I'm sure we've all been there before you get around one employee who is probably got one foot out the door or they're just not happy with their current situation. Um, and, and you kind of just let it snowball and fester and it get bigger and you think, oh, well, this went wrong and this here and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, bringing it back to, to what you said, Matt, uh, people looking to us because we're the salespeople, you know, um, I can't remember who said it, but uh, someone said, you know, nothing happens until something is sold. And, and that's really true. At least I, I believe so. And I'm sure us as sales professionals would think that, you know, if, if we don't go out and sell something, there's not going to be a paycheck for uh, the person that's going to help get the order ready to get on the truck and process the order. And, and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And I think if you come to work with that mindset, um, you know, I'll take a page from Larry Levine's book. That's really selling from the heart because I'm helping provide for these other people too in, in a holistic way, if, if you will. Agreed. Um, you know, it's funny, Matt, uh, I've been that negative person before uh, with my foot out the door. <laughs> I don't really like being that person, but, you know, sometimes you get in that mindset. And so his whole chapter on mindset, I think, is is very important. And um, 
it's just a good reminder, right? Uh, where sales is emotional as well. And so we have to have, have the right emotions in place to be successful. Oh, we're getting more additions to the team. <laughs> more windows. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the underlying themes kind of across the book, uh, is, is kind of sales culture, right? It's not like the main theme of the book, but it's kind of like an underlying tone, you know, talking about attitude and, and he shares actually a couple of anecdotal stories of like, of, of, you know, good modeled sales culture, like with his, his mentor, um, I think it was in like chapter three or so. Uh, and, and it, I think he goes on in you know some future books as well to talk about how important that is, but um, I would say to try to keep us on track because we're you know we're pushing time and we haven't even hit the most important chapter of the book yet. Um, you know this the structuring your sales story, um, but before we get to that, there's a, I did want to there's a couple of points I wanted to to get to and. Um, you know, chapter six, he kind of lists, it's, it's a, it's a setup chapter for, for seven and eight. And it says, where are all these tools that salespeople have in their tool belt? Um, you're right, Laura, he calls them sales weapons. And, and I think he did a pretty good job with all of those. One thing I would say is that kind of got left. Um, and I said, maybe not left out this book. I think he had originally published it in like 2013 or so, but, um, you know, it's a pretty exhaustive list. It covers what four pages of of sales weapons and kind of brief summaries on how to use them. But it didn't cover video, which probably you know kind of dates the book a little bit. And he doesn't mention direct mail. And I've actually had some really good success with direct mail. Um, it has to be very personable. But I think you know, don't let you know the the list of weapons is not finite. It's however, you know, kind of like, one, like going back to Jeb Blunt, one of the things he says a lot is, uh, you know, if, if you have to send smoke signals to get your prospect's attention, then light a fire, right? Um, use a carrier pigeon. And so, you know, I think all of those have, you know, those ideas of use whatever you can have merit, but it's kind of like, uh, but leading into like chapter eight, it's like, okay, you've, you've got them. And it's, you know, kind of like why my dog, when he caught a rabbit, he caught the rabbit. Great. And then he didn't know what to do. And he just kind of let it go. It was like uh, the the chase is over. But that's where I think the sales story really comes in is, you know, okay, however it is that you get there and you have all of these tools available for you, you know, the before getting into the, you know, line by line content of it, what I find most powerful about having a really well articulated story is that it sets up the differentiation immediately. And then the discovery, because as uh, having practiced this for several years, the discovery after a well articulated story is so much more open and, and flows a whole lot easier than if you just kind of go in there with, without a good, um, a good way to articulate your, your, your company and, and how you, uh, what kind of impacts you guys have. Um, I was kind of curious on, on everybody's thoughts, just kind of at a high level on, you know, on the, the sales story, because I think, you know, for, for Ryan and, and Zach, you guys, I don't think had, had read it before. And, you know, I think we all agreed this, it's a big chapter, but kind of what are your, without breaking it down at a high level, you know, Zach, what were your thoughts on on that that aspect of uh, of the book? Yeah, I thought uh, Daniel, that was, that was a great question and a great uh, setup for what Chapter Eight was really about. Um, you know, the, a couple things that really stuck out um, from that. Actually, in Chapter Seven, he talked about having a premium price requires a premium story, and then transitioning into, into Chapter Eight there your story's really got to pass the so what test. When I read that, I was like, that's so true. Hey, we do this, this, and that. I don't care. What are you going to do for me? You know, and I and I find myself when people will try and um, sell me something, you know, call me at, at work. Well, that's if they actually pick up the phone and call. But if they, they send an email and stuff like that, it's like, it's, it's so true. It's so much about we do this and this and this. Create that story of, I understand you. 
these are the challenges we help people or businesses or whatever it may be solve. And then like you're saying, Daniel, when, when you're able to tell them that they can, the discovery, they're going to be asking you questions. Well, what about this? What about that? They're going to want to know what you can do because you've given them a story of this here. And by doing that, they're asking you questions, which is in turn, you're discovering more about them. Well, Hey, they asked about this. They asked about this. How does this work? Can you do this? It, like you're saying, it just would help discovery exponentially because they're open. You're having a conversation. Um, you're, you're sitting next to them at the table instead of across from them, so to speak. Uh, you know, like Mike talks about later on in, in the book somewhere, it just, it, it's great. So, so really the, the ability to just move a sales conversation along and really be a trusted advisor. So what, what are your thoughts, Ryan? Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's other books that cover this too, but the power of why, like, wh- why does it matter what this does? And I had a great sales manager early in my career who, you know, if he's, if he heard me talking about features and the latest and greatest in our platform, he, he would cut it off immediately. He'd be like, this is not of any value to our clients. You need to, f- you need to figure out, all right, this new feature set, why does it matter to our clients? And um, I had that hounded into me early on in my career. And so telling that sales story for me, is, it's a natural thing now. I, I always look at what is the desired end state and the desired outcome for our client. And then how am I going to get there? Um, and so I, I really liked how the chapter eight really focused on that, telling the power of the, of the story, because, you know, I'm in tech there's a lot of people that do the same exact thing that I do. Um, even at being at a big company, there's, there's competitors. And, um, but the story of why and, and, and how it's impacted people, I think is, is very important for anybody, regardless of what industry they're in. So I, I really enjoyed that chapter. I think you just reiterated some things that I do in my own life. Fellas, we, we have covered a lot of stuff in this book, and, and there's some stuff that I've got written down, bullet points highlighted that we haven't even got to, and, and I'm sure we can discuss that at another time. And, and by all means, if, if you're listening to this um, episode and you haven't read this book, it, it's the best $20 you, I think you can ever spend. Uh, and with that, um, what, what let's go around and just say one action item that we would each take from this. Um, and I'll go ahead and start so you guys can think about it. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is really getting that sales story down and developing what client issues I can address, what offerings we then have, and then differentiators. Because if you lead with client issues and they don't have any, then it helps you qualify and then it's a better ROI of the time. So that's the biggest thing that I'm going to take away and and start implementing. How, How about you, Matt? Yeah, the, I would piggyback exactly on what you just said, uh, Zach, is that to sharpen that story and to make that story not about me, but about that prospect or that customer and craft it in such a way that, that it's it's about them and about how uh, I can serve them and how you know what the, the services I provide will help them accomplish their goals, cut their costs, so forth and so on. And then also, every time I read one of these books, especially from the guys from Outbound, I'm always reminded of the importance of time blocking. I mean, it's such a simple thing, but man, it is, it's, it's easy to do. It's harder to honor it and to be disciplined, to stay in that block, to close out those distractions, those distractions and focus on that block of time for prospecting or whatever I'm supposed to be doing in that block. So that's a, that's always a, a reminder of a discipline I need to put in place. Ryan, you, you got anything? Yeah, um, I think I've mentioned it to you guys before. I, I prefer to listen to my books on Audible just because I drive or whatnot. But this is one book where I, I have a hard copy because just the fact that rereading it and taking notes, I think, is very important. But um, I heard something said the other day, like uh, lack of focus or people that dabble. That's what prevents you from being successful. You know, there's there's all these distractions in our life you can you know, do pottery one day and cooking class the next, you're not good at either of them. But, you know, we're sales professionals and this book, like just diving into it and just following, following along with what Mike writes about, I think 
can really give us that focus when when it comes to how we we present ourselves as sales professionals. And um, so my takeaway from it was just um, reiterating that sales story, but also uh, just some of those foundational principles of you know making those outbound calls, being relational, um, trying to solve a problem. That for me is just a great takeaway that I, I want to build upon. That's a good points, Ryan. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I, don't, I think I don't think it can be understated on how important on building the sales story it really is um, across this book. I mean, that's essentially the gen. I mean, there's three chapters essentially that are go into you know either setting up how to the sales story or you know, chapter eight is basically the walkthrough on how to do it. And, and he gives some incredible examples. Um, I really love, uh, I really loved, uh, I, I have to, to say this, uh, this differentiator, cause I just love it so much that he has in here. Um, you know, don't call me for customer service training because I won't do it. And there's other better cho choices. If you're looking to improve the baby babysitting skills of account managers, sorry, Ryan. Um, you only want me if you're serious about increasing new sales. Now, what I love about that is it's it sets a it just crystal clear tone on you know what it is that he does and what his specialty is. And so it's you know because there's a lot of well I do this well I'm like that's that's great you know um, there's a bunch of other options out there but it's so you know it's so crystal clear and, and he uses a couple, you know, he goes into, you know, you have to use some of those emotional emotional words, um, which I think are really important because it gets, you know, you don't come off as salesy, you know, when, when you use that, cause who's going to say like, yeah, they, they call, you know, people call me cause they're, they get frustrated that their stuff doesn't work. It's like, okay, that's, it's easy to connect with, with emotion. Um, and I thought, you know, the way he lines that, that ch the whole chapter out on, and it's like a how-to guide and it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. When I'll say there's a second part of this book and it, I don't think it probably gets as enough credit. And I almost would love to see Mike write an entire book off chapter 11. And it was, you know, which was, you know, structuring winning sales calls and really going through, you know, a lot more detail on, on, he does okay uh, on the detail. It really is. It's a, kind of a second afterthought of the book, but structuring winning sales calls, I think is incredibly important. And then kind of tying with that good discovery, really teaching people how to do good discovery is a, ch I see it as a challenge. All the other, you know, uh, in previous roles, you know, my, you know, fellow in, uh, sales employees, they just didn't know how. And it more or less comes naturally to people like us who are all like really just inquisitive, right? That, that opens up that door to discovery a lot. But I, I I thought, man, that you can just write a whole book on that, which, <laughs> which is funny because you get to chapter 12 and that's essentially about objections. I'm like, well, my, Jeb Blunt wrote that book. So uh, I had a couple of notes in there, but no, did, did you guys come away with like on that, that, that chapter, that ch chapter 11, um, kind of in a similar, uh, thought. Yeah, I, I did. Um, cause it's not always well taught. Uh, I think people overcomplicate sales sometimes and he does a great job of just like clarifying step-by-step. Step, here's what a good sales call is like. Here's what discovery looks like. Here's what prospecting looks like. He really, he really covers all the the meat and potatoes of, of being a sales professional and, and spells it out very concisely. Yeah, I think I, great, great point, Daniel. I mean, the, the biggest note I have on um, that uh, chapter 11 structuring winning sales calls is have a next step. You know, you, too many times I feel like reps or sales people, whatever you want to call them, walk out, we're high-fiving each other and all that stuff. Man, that was a great meeting. You get back to the main office or whatever. So what are we going to do next? And, and it's just blank stares and silence, right? I have no idea, but man, they, they really liked us. Um, no you know, scheduled like, next meeting or anything, yeah. right? <laughs> nothing, nothing. But it was awesome. but it was a great meeting though. I'll send you a uh, quote. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, that was just the, the biggest thing I, I had down takeaway on the, that. He, Matt, do you have something? He to starts add? off. He, I, I forgot to get to this. He does start off that, that chapter that basically a, a sales call is like a flight plan. It's a really, really good metaphor because you know, a flight plan, you have, you have the prep work right before the pilots take off, they walk around the plane, then they go through the, the, they get in the uh, cockpit and they go through the checklist. You know, okay. Here's this, 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 all checking everything, you know, and then, you know, each one of those steps, it's all structured and, but it's structured for a reason. And I thought it was a, a really, really great metaphor. Um, and it's, it's easy to visualize that of, you know, before you go out and, and this maybe a little bit less so, uh, than it used to. I think this chapter is more written for a lot more like face-to-face sales calls, but the, you know, it helps put that into like, a, and visualize, okay, how does this, you know, how do I need to approach walking into this client? Yeah. You know, that chapter guys was such a reminder for me of all the mistakes I've made. Honestly, it's somewhat embarrassing. I'm thinking about a, a sales call I went on and it was a large, aerospace company in the north part of the state of Alabama. I'll just leave it at that. And um, we took our full executive team in there. We had an hour and uh, we walked in there and we had our slides. We had our presentation. We did everything wrong. And as a result of that, we got zero business. I mean, this is a dream. This is a you can't get dreamier than this. It's like like going to space big. That's how big it is. And um, walked out of there with no next steps, nothing, just had a here we are this is who we are see you guys later and we left and so just walking in knowing that having a plan knowing that it's not about you and then having clearly defined next steps huge huge yeah i agree and i know we need to so wrap up but that that reminds yeah. me that his <laughs> and daniel's never gonna let this book oh wrap my god up, I, I know it um that the presentation thing you know, again, a really good visualization. Like as he goes through in chapter 13 is about presentation. It sounds like he wrote the, that whole story that he writes going on chapter 13 sounds like what you had to experience, Matt. And then that's mm-hmm. uh, honestly, if you're going to, it is, <laughs> if you, if someone is going to be going into a client and giving a presentation, like if that meeting is booked, and, and this goes for anybody listening to this, read the first part of chapter 13 to make sure you walk in and you don't do what Mike experienced in the, in the front part of that chapter, because it is, it is uh, all of these sins all compiled into a single sales call. And uh, I love it. I, I try to practice it. I have a whole, uh, I came away from that chapter the first time I read it with an entire different approach on how I wanted to structure those meetings. Um, and, and that was probably aside from the, the sales story, the, the first time I read this, that was the, the second biggest takeaway that I got um, out of this book was crap. Do not do, you know, the, the well, shut up, the, the show up and throw up method of of sales presentations that was uh you, yeah you almost have to experience it though to to realize how big of a mistake it is because i think we've all probably had those experiences great 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 point uh, everyone on that last point there um i think it's it's so true you know be be unique and be be memorable right mike gives a couple stories of that so uh, to, to kind of wrap it up here, you know, Ryan, you had a great point uh, earlier. You know, we always try and say, do we recommend this book uh, at the end of the podcast? And, and Ryan, earlier you said it's a, it's applicable for all of us. And it's crazy how we're all in four completely different industries. Um, so, you know, w- without going around, I'm sure all of us would, would obviously recommend this book. It was great. I can't wait to get back into chapter eight, highlight some more, refine my sales plan, revisit this in six months and say, wow. You thought you were doing terrible then, and you've done a lot of work, and then look, you got a lot to go. Uh, but it's really going to be interesting to see where all of us go from here. Um, our next book is going to be Eat Their Lunch by Anthony Anarino, um, and I'm really looking forward to this here. It sounds like it goes hand in hand. I personally have not read it before, uh, but just listening to Anthony speak at Outbound this year, you get an understanding of just how intelligent 
and in the knowledge that Anthony brings. So I can't wait to tackle this one here, guys. Uh, I really hope everyone tunes into episode three. As always, it's been a pleasure, and, and we really hope uh, this, if nonetheless, it brings uh, value to at least one person. Yeah, um, kind of a, a second part of that, and this goes for you, Ryan, Mr. Audible. This is not a book that you want to have on Audible. Right. This is another printed copy. Yeah. Uh, actually, Anthony's my favorite author. Um, I have his copy. I, I own every book of his in hard copy. I, uh, I'm looking forward to, to this next one for sure.